Section 64 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3, by George W. M. Reynolds. Chapter 62. Frank's Embarrassments. Thus remained Mr. Frank Curtis for some minutes, each moment expecting that the bedroom door would again open and that the voice of the terrible Irishman would once more convey some hideous menace to his ears. But Captain O'Blunderbuss had fairly departed this time, and at length the miserable young man slowly pushed down the clothes and glanced timidly round the room. It was no dream, as for an instant he had endeavoured to make himself believe that it was, for there was the chair in the very place where the captain had sat, there also was the bottle which the captain had condescended to empty. A duel, groaned Frank, in a sepulchral voice, he who had fought so many in imagination. Then he remembered that there existed a means of averting all danger from himself, and elated by the sudden thought he leapt nimbly from his bed with the affectionate intention of proceeding forthwith to his uncle, and compelling the old gentleman to go forth and be shot at, whether by Captain Mordaunt or Captain O'Blunderbuss, Frank did not care a fig. Having hastily dressed himself, the young gentleman hurried off to German Street, and on his arrival he was surprised to find the knight's travelling carriage at the door, while the servants were busily employed in piling up portmanteaus and hat-boxes and band-boxes and carpet-bags. "'Hallo!' cried Frank to Jeffreys, the groom, who was in the act of hoisting one of the aforesaid articles of luggage to another servant, who stood upon the roof of the vehicle. "'What does all this mean?' "'Means travelling, Mr. Frank,' responded the domestic. "'The order was given in a violent hurry, and so I haven't a moment to spare. But here's Master and her ladyship.' And sure enough, Sir Christopher and Lady Blunt made their appearance at that instant, the former enveloped in his greatcoat and with a silk handkerchief tied round all the lower part of his face, and Charlotte muffled in a splendid cloak. "'I say, Sir Christopher,' cried Frank, "'this won't do at any price, you know.' "'What won't do, sir?' demanded the knight in a stern tone. "'Now then, Jeffreys, down with the steps.' "'Yes, sir.' And the steps were lowered accordingly. Frank stood aghast as he saw the knight hand his better half into the carriage, and the said better half pouted up her really pretty mouth in a disdainful manner as she passed the forlorn youth. Sir Christopher was about to follow her into the vehicle, when Frank suddenly seized him by the skirts of his greatcoat, exclaiming, "'You shan't sneak off in this manner.' "'You shall stay to—to—to to what?' growled Sir Christopher, from the depths of the silk handkerchief which came up to his nose. "'To be shot at,' returned Frank, almost driven to desperation. The lady inside uttered a scream. Sir Christopher gave a desperate groan, and, breaking away from his nephew, rushed into the carriage. Jeffreys put up the steps and banged the door, and the vehicle rolled away. Leaving Curtis standing alone on the pavement, the very picture of the most ludicrous despair. What was to be done now? The formidable Captain O'Blunderbuss held him, yes, him, Frank Curtis, answerable, for the appearance of Sir Christopher Blunt on the field of battle. Otherwise, but the alternative was too dreadful to think of. What then was to be done? Frank saw the impossibility of nerving himself so as to encounter the desperate fire-eater, and yet he knew that the captain would find him out even if he removed his abode from the West End to West Smithfield. Yet something must be done and that speedily, for it was now two o'clock in the afternoon, and next morning at eight the captain would expect him at the place of appointment. An idea struck Frank. 
he would go and consult Mr. Howard, the attorney. To that gentleman's offices he accordingly repaired, composing himself by the way as well as he could, so as not to express by his countenance the alarms which agitated within his breast. Mr. Howard was disengaged and gave him an immediate audience. "'Well, I hope you're satisfied now that you hanged that poor fellow yesterday morning,' said Frank, as he took the chair to which the solicitor pointed. "'It was a duty which I owed to society,' returned Howard, laconically, as if the subject were not altogether a pleasant one. "'What an idea!' ejaculated Frank. "'But, however, it is done and can't be undone. After all, he was a brave fellow, a man just such as I could have admired, barring the highway part of his calling.' And now you, who are such a stickler about duties to society and so on, suppose you heard, for instance, that a duel was going to take place between some friends of yours and another party. Of course you'd do all you could to stop it. You'd go to Bow Street and you'd give private information concerning the where and the when. Or perhaps you'd speak openly and get the persons bound over to keep the peace, eh? I should not do anything of the kind, answered Howard, who had already begun to suspect that Mr. Frank Curtis had some special reason of his own for speaking with so much earnestness, indeed with such an air of appeal as he now displayed. You wouldn't, eh? exclaimed Frank, grievously disappointed at the ill success of his little maneuver. And why not? Because I should only lose my time for nothing, responded Mr. Howard. The devil! Then did you get Tom Rain hanged because the prosecution put money in your pocket? demanded Frank. Did you merely come to chatter with me or on business? asked the lawyer evasively. If the former, I am busy. If the latter, make haste and explain yourself. Well, the fact is, continued Frank, now feeling certain that the entire affair of Tom Rain's prosecution was a very sore subject with the lawyer. The fact is, I wanted to speak to you about a little matter in which my precious old uncle has placed me in a complete fix. Not that I care about a duel, you know. I'd see a duel damned first before I'd care for it. Still, still you would rather not fight it, observed Mr. Howard with a slight curl of the lip. You see, my dear fellow, proceeded Curtis, that I have so many affairs of my own to attend to, I really cannot undertake to conduct those of other people. There's my marriage with Mrs. Goldberry coming off in a few days, and now, bother to it, up starts this duel business. "'Do explain yourself, Frank,' exclaimed Howard impatiently. "'Well, I will, and in a few words, too. "'It seems that Captain Mordaunt has taken a tiff at my uncle's conduct towards his sister, "'and so he sends Captain O'Blunderbuss.' "'Captain O'Blunderbuss, eh?' ejaculated the attorney, "'now becoming suddenly interested in the narrative of Mr. Curtis. "'Yes, a terrible-looking wild Irishman returned this young gentleman. "'But he didn't frighten me, though.' I should think not. Do you know him? Only by name, answered Mr. Howard coolly, as he glanced at a suspicious-looking slip of parchment that lay upon his desk. But go on. Well, this old blunderbuss, it appears, goes to my uncle, who refers him to me, naturally enough, seeing that I am pretty well experienced in all matters of dueling, pursued Frank. So the captain calls on me a couple of hours ago, and we discuss the business in a very friendly way. Everything is settled pleasantly enough, but before the captain takes his leave I catch hold of him by the button, and let him know that if he fails to produce his principal on the ground tomorrow morning, after all the trouble entailed on me, I shall hold him answerable accordingly. The captain looks rather glum at that, because I did tumble down upon him a little unexpectedly with my threat. However, he agrees, and we separate. But lo and behold, I go to Sir Christopher to tell him how comfortably I have settled the whole business for him, and he is gone fled, bolted, mizzled, cut his stick, baggage and all including his wife. 
and therefore observed howard coolly you will have to fight captain o'blunderbuss because you will not be able to produce your principal it's just this that bothers me exclaimed frank if the man had offended me i shouldn't of course mind in that case one of us should never quit the ground alive for i'm a desperate fellow when once i am in earnest but here's a poor devil who has never done me any injury but who seems to me to be a capital hand at the whiskey bottle and my fire-eating temper places us both in that position which compels him almost poor creature to insist on our exchanging shots i really feel for the captain and not at all for yourself frank said the lawyer in his usual quiet manner oh not an atom ejaculated mr curtis but don't you admit that something ought to be done to prevent captain o'blunderbuss from becoming the victim of a display of temper so unjust and uncalled for on my own part i wish to heaven my friend the duke of the tower hamlets was in town he would pretty soon put matters on a proper footing and save me from the chance of killing a man that has never injured me but his lordship the marquis is not in town why i must throw myself on your friendship well i will undertake to prevent the duel in this case said howard speaking as quietly as if he believed every word of mr frank curtis's version of the affair will you though cried the young man unable to conceal his joy i will indeed returned howard so make your mind perfectly at ease on that head where is the duel or rather where ought it to take place in battersea fields to-morrow morning at eight precisely answered frank very good said the lawyer now you must be with me at a quarter before seven here at my office and i will have a chase ready to take us there but need we go at all asked frank his countenance suddenly assuming a woeful expression again we must go to the field replied the solicitor but trust me to settle the matter when we do get there again i tell you not to make yourself uneasy i will guarantee the complete settlement of the affair and in a most peremptory manner too thank you kindly returned frank again reassured you have taken a load from my breast not that i care about fighting you know but it must be in a good cause that was just what i said when my best friend the prince of scandinavia there's enough of it for the present frank interrupted the lawyer leave the affair to me and i shall manage it to your complete satisfaction be here at a quarter to seven not a minute later to-morrow morning and now you must permit me to attend to my own engagements frank curtis took the hint and his leave accordingly wondering how the lawyer would so manage matters as to subdue the terrible fire-eating propensities of the redoubtable captain o'blunderbuss nevertheless the young man placed implicit reliance upon mr howard's promise and it was with a comparatively light heart that he sped towards Hugh's dwelling of mrs goldberry in baker street End of section sixty four recording by philip gould